All right, this is Mark 11, starting in verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and when Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So if you remember, uh, Jesus had just gone into the temple. There were people uh, selling animals, and there were money changers in the temple. He turned their tables over. He drove out all these guys who were selling animals, and he, he left the temple. Now he's returned with his disciples, and, and the priests, the religious leaders, are saying, what, who gave you the right? Who, who do you think you are? Caiaphas, who's the high priest, so he's the top religious authority in the country, had said three years ago, all of this is fine. It's fine to sell animals here. It's fine to change money here. All of this is okay. And so these guys want to know Jesus, no title, no position, no official role within Judaism. Who does he think he is coming in and basically saying to the the CEO, you're wrong. What you're doing is wrong, which is a great question if they were sincere, which they're not. You can tell by the way they dodge his question on John the Baptist. They're just trying to catch him in something he says. If he's, regardless of what Jesus comes back with, they're going to try to use it against him. And pick up in chapter 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the vineyard, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. The parable's pretty straightforward. It's a parable of judgment on the religious leaders, a little bit on the context. There were huge tracts of land that were owned by absentee landlords, and they were farmed by tenants, and the rent was paid out of the produce of the crop. So the landlord had every right to send somebody back to his land to collect his rent from these guys who were farming his land. This idea of killing the heir, um, inheritance laws, if the, son, if the heir is dead, then the guys who work the land have a claim on it. So that's kind of what's going on there. So this, this situation is very familiar to the audience, and it would not have been difficult for them to put two and two together and see that Jesus is talking about the religious leaders. They all figured it out. Those are the tenants. These are these guys who God has repeatedly sent messengers to them. Throughout the Old Testament, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet trying to say, this is the way, walk in it. Here's the deal. And continually, not every person, not every time, but the overall arc is rejection, rejecting the word of God, rejecting God's plan, rejecting God's initiative, these overtures that he's making. There are 
they're non-responsive to hostile. That's the continuum that they're on. Rarely do they respond positively to what God is doing. Again, this is a generalization, but that's the overall arc, if you read the Old Testament, of the religious leaders of the time. They just, they don't get it. They continually reject the people that God is sending to try to say, go this way. And so he sends his son, and that word, this son whom he loves, that ties back into Mark 1 when Jesus is baptized. This is my son whom I love. He's making that connection there explicit for us. He sent his son saying, maybe they'll listen to him. And they don't. They kill him. That's a prediction of Jesus' death. And so what God is saying through this parable, I'm, I'm done. Y'all have continually rejected the people who I've sent to try to tell you the truth, to try to help you out, to try to encourage you, to try to get you walking the right way. You've continued to reject them. I sent my son, and you killed him, so I'm done with you. He rejects the religious leaders, and he says, and I'm going to remove this privilege that you have, this authority that you have as the religious leaders of these spokes, the spokesman for me. I'm removing that from you, and I'm going to give it to someone else. And you can see in Acts kind of how all of that plays out. The temple's destroyed in 70 AD. The whole thing is done because God's he's fed up with it. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the lack of fruit that the whole temple system produced. That's the withered fig tree. There's no fruit there. What we see here, it's a lack of responsiveness. The guys are not, they're not using the authority that God has given them in a good way at all. They're using it to kill God's messengers. And so he's done with them. And he moves on. This idea of the capstone, just real quick, you can either look at that as capstone or cornerstone. Either one is fine. Capstone kind of the, is the last uh, stone that you put in an arch. It holds the whole thing together. A cornerstone is the first stone that you lay when you're building a building and it makes sure everything is uh, true and aligned and it provides the foundation. So either way you want to say first or the last, Jesus in Revelation 117 says he's both. I'm the first and the last. He's the one that holds everything together and he's also the foundation for everything. So that's kind of what's going on. I forgot, again, outlines. If you're interested in an outline, you can raise your hand. You haven't missed anything. Um, the, uh, for us, that's kind of what's happening in the passage. I would say for us, two key, two key concepts I want us to grab onto. One is authority, and one is responsibility. That first section is about authority. Authority is the right to do something. And the second section is about responsibility. That's the expectation God has that we're actually going to do something with the authority that he gives us. And that's really the first point, is Jesus gives us authority. He, he, uh, when he ascended into heaven, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the Great Commission. That's in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, if you want to look. That's, he said, I've got it all. Everything on heaven, all the authority in heaven, all the authority on earth is mine. Therefore, because of that, because I'm the one that has all the authority, I'm going to deputize y'all to go out and to fulfill my mission, to finish what I started on the earth. He had not gotten to every nation. He got to one nation. That was his deal. This one nation, the Jewish people, to do this thing that he did. And when he was on the cross, he said it's finished. He completed his task. And then he left the rest of it to us. And he's given us the authority to walk that out. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we're ambassadors of Christ. We're his messengers. We talked before, if you remember, this idea of being a follower of Jesus. In this time, what was expected was the messenger is like the man. And so when Jesus and, the, and Peter, James, and John were up on this mountain and they come down there's, uh, from the Mount of Transfiguration, if you remember, we talked about that probably a month ago. 
there's a dad who brought his son, his demon-possessed son, to the other nine disciples and said, fix him, help him. And the reason he brought his son to those nine was because he assumed whatever Jesus has, his followers have. They're going to talk like him, they're going to act like him, they're going to have the same power that he does. Again, that's implicit throughout the New Testament, explicit as well, but implicit throughout the New Testament is as followers of Jesus, he's given us his authority to accomplish his purposes in the world. The Great Commission makes that, again, explicit, but it's implied throughout. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means that we look like him, we talk like him, we act like him, we do the things that he has done, and he gives us, again, the authority to do that. In between my junior and senior years of college, it was uh, 96, it was the Summer Olympics. Who was here? Summer Olympics? Good times. So I had a job as a security guard, and that is in quotes for a reason. Um, My responsibility, I got this job, I thought it was going to be a pretty big deal. It paid really well, and so I thought, hey, there's, there's something to this. So I go to orientation, all I had to do was pass a drug test, that was it, and have a driver's license. And we, our responsibility was to secure the level three targets. So I guess that's if they don't get Centennial Park and then they don't get whatever level two is. So uh, neighborhoods that were built like in the 80s, remember those big green boxes that were out in the, you see them in somebody's front yard? I don't know if they were utility or cable, those big green, you know what I'm talking about? That was my job. I secured two of those. One in Douglasville and one in Conyers. And so I worked from 8 at night to 8 in the morning, and I just drove back and forth from Douglasville to Conyers. About 300 miles every night. It was fine. I got paid mileage. So I just drove, and then I would secure these sites. My authority came from the fact that I had a huge magnet on top of my car that said security. And if that doesn't scare people away, I'm not sure what does. I also had a badge, not with my picture on it, just a blank badge that had the name of the company I was working with that I clipped to my security guard shirt. That was, I had, theoretically, I had authority to secure these two green boxes, one in Douglasville and one in Conyers. Kind of my lasting memory of that summer, sometimes I I drifted off a little bit between 8 at night and 8 in the morning. My car didn't have air conditioning, so I kept the windows down. And I was in Conyers, and I fell asleep This is not a lie. I woke up, a cow's head was through my window. I I had never been so scared in my life when I woke up, (laughs) ever. Right there. And I didn't know what to, how do you get a cow's head? I mean, it was still attached to the cow, wasn't it? How How do you get that thing out of there? I had authority, theoretically. I had no power. If somebody wanted to attack those green boxes, I didn't have a cell phone. It was 1996. They didn't tell us what to do. I had a log, so I would have wrote compromised or something. I don't don't even know what I was supposed to do. That was my... It's authority without any power. We'll get to that in a second. Thankfully, Jesus gives us both. And one of the things for us, we don't just have authority. It's not just that God has said, hey, here's this thing, here's this... Great Commission, which for some of you, when you hear that, it's guilt, and you're like, God, not, no, I don't, I don't know what you're, I don't know how to integrate that into my life. I'm not moving to China, I'm not an extrovert, I don't understand how I'm supposed to integrate this whole idea of making disciples into my life, and you, you don't want to hear about it. Maybe you'll write a check to somebody else who's doing it, but you don't get how that integrates into your life, but 
for all of us, the two pieces, one authority. Jesus has given you, if you're a Christian, he's given you authority. Galatians 4, 5 says we, are, we have the full rights of a son. That's male or female. You have the rights of a son. Jewish culture, sons inherited. And so, as, again, whether you're a male or female, you have the full rights of a son. That means you get to inherit. The Bible says we're co-heirs with Christ. Everything he's going to inherit, we get a piece of that as well. That All of that is given to us, but with that comes responsibility as well. That's why he's ripping the religious leaders with this parable. Right after they talk about authority, he got, jumped right into responsibility. You had authority. It was given to you as priests, as the chief priests, as these religious leaders. You had a place of authority in the religious structure, the national structure of the day. And your people in your past, your line has had that. Things passed down through family lines. You had all of that. But you didn't, there was a responsibility that came with that, and you totally dropped the ball. Not once, repeatedly, continually. Every person I sent, you missed it. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25. You can go and look at that if you want. A landowner leaves, and he gives servants. One guy gets five talents, one gets two, one gets one. It doesn't matter how much you get. What matters is you've been given something from the Lord. And he expects us to use that. He's given us resources. He's given us opportunities. He's given us authority. He's given us power. He's given us all of these things. And he's gone for a little bit. How does that parable end? He comes back. And he says, what did you do with what I gave you? And the guys that did something with it get rewarded. And the guy that from fear or apathy or whatever buried it gets ringed. And that's not where we want to be. With authority comes responsibility. That's for all of us. If you're a Christian, you've been given authority, which implicit in that is you have a responsibility as well. That's not a heavy thing. That's just reality. And so then the question becomes, well, what am I supposed to do with this Great Commission? Again, I... You're probably not part of the 2% of the people in the church who are going to spend significant time overseas. That, again, it's 2%. That's, most of us, that doesn't apply. So what does it look like to incorporate the Great Commission into our life, to take seriously this, uh, this responsibility that we have and the authority? How do I use the authority that I've been given? Two different ways you can get there, get you to the same goal. One, uh, if you think in terms of people groups, if you think people, this might be for you. Dick and Mitch, who are up here with Forrest, who are going to the Ukraine, they come up here every Thursday at 10, and they help people get birth certificates. If you, can't get a, if you don't have a birth certificate, you can't get an ID. If you don't have an ID, you can't do anything. And so they're helping guys, most of whom are homeless, get birth certificates so they can get IDs so they can kind of move on with their lives. Like that, that might be their people. Their people are these homeless men and women who don't have birth certificates. For some of you, I've talked to you at single moms. That's, that's your group. They, when you think about the plight of a single mom, you get all weepy and you, you want to do something. Great. For some of you, it is places overseas. It's in China or something like that. If you think that way, you need to identify that group of people. I'm looking at Tyler. I'll pick on him. He's a coach. He's a great youth sports coach. And so maybe he says his people are the parents of the, of the kids that he coaches. I don't know if he would say that or not. It can be that specific. Whoever kind of stirs your heart, if you tend to, I don't think that way, but if you tend to think that way in terms of people, who are the people? What, what's, the, what's the group that you're drawn to? And most likely it's a group you're already connected with. 
It's probably not the Inuits or something like that who you don't have any contact. That, he's not going to do that. that doesn't, you, there's no contact there for you. And w- for some of us, we, we say that because that removes the responsibility from us because we don't have contact with those folks. It's going to be somebody or some group that either it's, you're already connecting with or it's easily accessible to you. I would say that. If you don't think that way, so like for me, I don't think in terms of people groups. Another way of looking at this, we've talked, we talked about this, it's probably been 18 months or so, but this might be new for some of you, the, the walls, the areas of influence in a city. In the Old Testament, walls were very significant. You built a city, you built a wall around it, and the wall provided protection. So if you had a strong wall, then within that city, there was peace, there was security, there was well-being. If you didn't have a strong wall within that city, there was fear and anxiety because you knew you were going to get raided. And so walls physically were important in the prophets, in Ezekiel especially, and Isaiah. The walls take on a metaphorical kind of picture. God uses them to talk about the spiritual condition of his people. Ezekiel 13.5 says this. You've not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. So what God at that point is talking to the religious leaders of the day and he's saying, y'all aren't doing your job. There are breaks in these walls and you're not fixing them. If you read through Ezekiel 13, he says you're just whitewashing them. These walls are flimsy. They're not going to protect anybody from anything. Again, we're thinking spiritually here, not physically. These the spiritual walls of your community are falling apart, and you religious leaders, you're not doing anything about it. Ezekiel 22.30 says this. This is God talking. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. The next verse actually says, and so I'm going to destroy it. What God is looking for, if there's spiritual walls in the city, so whatever, whatever your community is. For me, it's downtown Marietta where I live, work, all that stuff. For you, it might be... It's Kennesaw or it's Smyrna, wherever your community is. There are spiritual walls around that community. I would make the case that most of those walls are broken down. They're not serving their function. They're not providing protection for the people who live within it. They're broken. They're allowing negative, wicked, evil, whatever adjective you want to use, influences to affect the people who live within that city. I'm not talking about Christianizing everything. I'm just saying they're not doing their job. The walls are broken. And God is saying, I'm looking for somebody who will repair a wall. Give me somebody who will do that. Isaiah 58, 12, your people will, this is a promise, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be recalled repairer of broken walls restorer of streets with dwellings. So that's a promise. We live on this side of the cross, and what Isaiah prophesied, that's going to happen. You're going to rebuild walls, and that's God's looking for someone to rebuild walls, and then he, it's, it's us. If you were at One Life on Wednesday, we talked about this whole idea of Jesus praying. Where are the, where are the laborers for the harvest field? The, the fields are white. He's praying for harvest workers, and when we think that, we always think, who's going to go overseas? That is, again, that's 2% of the equation for the rest of us. We're the answer to that prayer, and it doesn't mean we have to move anywhere. It means we need to take responsibility for where God has us. He's looking, he's saying, who is going to fix these walls? And he's saying, it's us. Y'all are the ones. I'm the one. We're the ones who are supposed to do that. Scott, will you show that slide, please? So these are the seven, not that, there. These are the seven walls. You may or may not have 
heard of these before. You may have heard of these as some people call these the mountains of culture. You can call them whatever you want. The first one was that government, legal, everything that kind of fits under that umbrella. And I'm going to give you some examples of things that I know people are doing just to help make it concrete. We have some folks, and they're all things that are done through Stonebridge. Not that we're great. It's just these are the people that I know. Um, I actually don't know anyone who's intentionally working in that area. We have people who are lawyers and people who are kind of on the periphery of politics. I don't know anyone who's intentionally saying, that's my wall. I'm trying to rebuild it, and this is what I'm doing. Science and medicine, that one's the hardest one to really grasp. You know, we do have doctors and nurses here. We have a group that meets on Monday nights that's kind of rebuilding the temple and looking at nutrition and health and all that kind of stuff. Education, that's everything across the board. Young kids, college, public, private, home, all of it. Um, we're partners in education with Park Street. We've got a soccer program with them. We have some folks who are on their PTA boards. That's a way of influencing that wall. Arts, entertainment, media, culture, that's another one that's kind of a big umbrella. You heard Adam uh, mention earlier we're hosting the Art Walk. We have some artists in our church. We've actually got a guy who's written up, who's made a movie and someone who's written a book. So that's what some people are doing individually. There's some folks in our church who've started a program called Our Kids Atlanta. They use the arts to reach at-risk kids at Osborne High School. Um, Marietta Grassroots is a music festival that a couple people in our church have started as well. There's some things um, moving in that area. Uh, business, uh, Brandon Hutchins is on the leadership team for a group called Work Matters that tries to help people integrate the gap between their faith and their work. Um, Church, that's church with a big C, not locally. Uh, Penny, our children's pastor, meets with other children's pastors on the square every quarter. I've um, preached at First Pres back a couple of months ago. There's some things we're trying to do to connect with other churches. It's a bit of a digression. Um, Ezra, and, Ezra and Nehemiah are two Old Testament books that used to be one book, and they've been cut in half. Ezra rebuilds the temple, and Nehemiah rebuilds the walls of the city in Jerusalem. And Ezra goes first. I think there's probably something significant about the fact that the temple has to be rebuilt before the walls of a city can be rebuilt. And that says something to us as the body of Christ. Again, we talked last week or two weeks ago, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's no building anymore. It's us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit corporately. And, and what God is looking for, I think, is he's looking for something among us, not just this collection of people but the broader church with a capital C. And I think as we begin to tap into what that is more broadly, it will accelerate some of this work in these other areas of the city. And then family as well. People who work with Musk, Cobb Pregnancy. Uh, we have a lady who works with a ministry called Solomon's House in Atlanta. Among other things, they help rescue women who are um, wrapped up in prostitution. We have some foster parents. All that kind of stuff. So, this is my bias. Some of you are kind of are people people, and so you think in terms of people group, which is wonderful. Some of you are not so much, and you might think in terms of these areas of influence. This is kind of more the way that I think it's two different roads that get to the same destination, which is who or what am I responsible for? What is the way I integrate the Great Commission into my life? Scott, will you show that next slide, please? When it comes to people, most of us know pretty intuitively, well, this is what I do with people. This is kind of how I influence people. But when it comes to education, what am I supposed to do? Try to get prayer back in schools? Like, what am, I, what am I trying to do here? These are some of the values of the kingdom. Not all of them. Truth's not up there. Love, there's just some that I came up with. And what you want to do is to begin to embody these values on whatever wall it is that you're called to. 
So again, it's not a matter of trying to Christianize anything. It's if you begin to intentionally interject just one of these values into whatever area you feel called, you'll begin to see things change. These are mustard seeds, and that's what you just plant these mustard seeds, and eventually they'll become trees. You don't want to try to plant a tree. It causes too much. You've got to dig too big a hole, and you've got to disturb too many other things. It's easy to plant a mustard seed. People won't even notice it's there. And eventually that thing will take root and will grow. This is what you want to be doing in these different walls, particularly if it's an area that's hostile to Jesus or just closed to him. Maybe hostile is not the right word. You begin to plant mustard seeds by intentionally embodying the values of the kingdom. And then over time, you'll see some things begin to shift. So again, this is my bias. Everybody's called to a wall. All of us are. We've got, there's something that we're called to. Psalm uh, 16, 5 and 6 says, Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. So wherever you are, you are because God put you there. And within that, if we can switch from a wall to a garden in terms of a picture, he's given you some plot of land. And he's saying, work it. Cultivate that plot of land. You have Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So as his son, you don't need a position, you don't need a title, you don't need, it, you don't need a role, you don't need anything official because your father owns all of it. And as his son, you're going to inherit it. And so we can begin to act accordingly. It's not a triumphalistic thing. That's not the ditch most of us are going to fall into. We're not going to be too bold. Most of us fall into the ditch of being too passive, of shrinking back. That's not my place. I've got nothing to add. They're not going to want to hear this. I don't know what to do. That's the ditch that most of us fall into. And what we all need to hear, your father owns all of it. He wants to give it to you, and he's given you authority to exercise it, whatever that sphere is that you have, whatever that garden is that he's planted you. He's given you authority in that area to extend his mission, to do this work. That's one of, again, that's the thing about Jerry that really captured me. He, had, he's not in a, he wasn't a mission team leader for our church. He, he was a, a guy who felt when he was le- about to go to sleep that God said, why don't you go do something in Tuscaloosa? And he ran with it. That's, the, that's good. That's the kind of thing I think we want to see happening. Each of us taking responsibility for whatever our area is. Each of us taking responsibility for what God has given us and using the authority that he's given to us. And again, thankfully, none of us are like me as a security guard. You don't just have a magnet and a little name tag. God gives us power as well. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He empowers us to take care of the things that he calls us to. If you can, the police thing. He doesn't just give us a badge. That's authority. He gives us a gun. That's power as well. We have both of the components, both of the things that we need to accomplish what he's called us to doesn't mean it's not going to be a risk. It doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult. It doesn't mean we're not going to fail. It means we're not going to have to do it on our own. Let me wrap with this. 
For some of you, this is old news. You've heard it before. That's great. Hopefully, it'll clarify for you, maybe remind you where you need to be working. For some of you, this is new. You haven't heard of these laws before, and it's weird, and even if you knew what yours was, what are you actually supposed to do? This is where I want you to land this morning. Just figure out what, figure out what it is first. We can talk about what to do later. For right now, let's just all land on what, what is it for me? Is it this group of people? Or is it this particular area of influence? Which of those things, if you had to write it on an index card, what would you write down right now? You've got something. You might not know what it is, but God has something for you. You've got a wall or you've got a group of people. And we want to identify that and we want to own that because, again, that's, those are the boundary lines that God has placed for us. And within that, within that field, within that sphere, I have authority given by God to do things. So I want to know where my fences are because within that fence, God's going to expect something of me. Because with that authority comes responsibility. And he's going to say, what did you do? What did you do with what I, whether I think I've got one talent or five is irrelevant. I've got something. And he's going to ask me, well, what did you do? I was busy. I don't care. I didn't know what to do. Why didn't you ask? I was afraid. Get over it. Whatever my excuses are, they don't hold up. So for, again, not guilt, encouragement. Figure out where you are. The biggest shift for most of us is all inside. Cognitively, we know. We've been given authority. You get that. You've read those words in the Bible. You've heard those sermons, and you know, yeah, I'm a son of God. Got it. Check mark. Living like it. Completely different ballgame for most of us. And that's a shift, and there's not a whole lot. I, there's nothing, actually, I can say about that. I'm going to encourage you. If that's you, just let us pray with you about that, that God will, whatever switch needs to be flipped in your heart for you to really grab onto the authority you have as a son of God, that you will recognize that and begin to live that out. And that will change just about everything for you You'll, when you begin to see yourself as a son. So those are the two takeaways. This authority piece, we got to get that nailed down, living that way. And then who are your, what, what's your wall slash who are your people? And then we can move ahead from there. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, I do. I, I thank you for including us in what you're doing. I thank you that you give us the authority. You give us the right to carry out the mission of your son. And you also give us the power, you give us the ability to do that as well. And God, we want to hold on to both of those things, our authority and our power. God, every person in this room, you're, you're calling all of us to something. You've said to us, go, 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 make disciples. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Demonstrate it. Do all of that stuff. And some of us don't have a clue where to start. And so my prayer is in the next four minutes that you would begin to clarify. Who are my people? What's my wall? How do I integrate the Great Commission into my 50 hours a week at work and 
family and I got to sleep sometime and all of these other things I've got going on. How do I integrate those things? God, I pray that you would release creativity among us. How do we get at these areas of influence? How do we get at these people? We don't want to just go kicking down doors, acting like we know everything. What do Creatively, Lord, how do we scatter mustard seeds? And God, for each of us, I pray that we would know who we are as your sons. Man or woman, we would know who we are as your sons and that we would live in the authority that you have delegated to us, that we would walk in that. Not with arrogance, but humility, knowing who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is what we're going to do. You guys can stand up. Bo and Junior are going to lead us in one last worship song.